A warm welcome to the May episode of the Uxbridge FM podcast. I'm Steve Parker. Lots coming up. We'll chat gardening, board games, the Queen's Jubilee and kids' books, plus a rundown of a few events going on around the area. Let's kick off this month with board games. Right, very exciting news because... A few doors down from our studios here at Uxbridge FM, we've got a new shop opening. It's been vacant for a time. Um, a new board game cafe is opening. We've got Paige and we've got Michelle joining us in the studio, who are the owners of D2O. Now, first of all, hello, by the way. Hello, hello. Can you explain the name? Why is it called D2O or D20? Yeah, so it's called D20 because a D20 is a 20-sided dice, which is used quite commonly in uh, role-playing games. Uh, so it's uh, when you roll the, a 20, that means something really good is going to happen in the game. A 20-sided dice? Yes. I've never seen one of those. <laughs> it's almost circular, but it's not. <laughs> so you, you've got a venue already in Watford um, doing a similar kind of thing, and you've opened this one, you're about to open this one in Uxbridge, opening in June... Yeah, so we're hoping to be open more, maybe more at the end of June. But yes, yeah, hoping June. I know how these things go, <laughs> yeah. like the Elizabeth line or Crossrail or something. <laughs> Opening soon. So what kind of games can we play in the board game cafe? Kind of a mixture of many things, but we um, intend to have a similar, smaller but similar library to our Watford Place. So we have everything from the, the classics that you know, Connect Four, Monopoly, um, Guess Who and all that stuff, but also focusing on more modern board games. So um, they're called the modern classics as well. We get like Catan, Pandemic, Ticket to Ride. They're like kind of really popular now. And we also tend to get in games from like smaller indie developers that send them to us or um, anything that comes across a table that looks good as well. <laughs> we just put it in the library. Yeah, big, a big plethora. How does the money work? You can't just come in and have a cup of tea and sit there for six hours, can you? <laughs> yeah, you, you can absolutely come in for a cup of tea if you want to. Um, we charge to use our board game library, so we charge about £2 an hour with the fourth hour free to use our board game library. But if you're not interested in playing board games that day, then you can just come in and use our, our facilities, our, our hot drinks and our menu. It's a very sociable thing, isn't it, board games? People are very you know sociable when they play a board game. Give us an idea of, like, do you have teams and things that come in or, or clubs that come and play board games? I think our, our biggest thing for, like, socialisation is our events. So ah. people, most people do come in and they book a table for them and their friends or work colleagues or family. That's something that we kind of think is, like, a focus of our um, places is community events. So we have something called Open Gaming, and you can just come in. You can either come in alone or, like, a friend or two that you have, but you basically get to play with everyone that has arrived at this event. So... 20 people turn up and it's like, hey, we're going to stick it all together. You can all play either one big game, separate games, and just, like, get to know everyone. And, yeah, there's lots of those type of events that we run that just put people together and make new friends. You're not licensed, are you, for, for drinks? Oh, we will be. Oh, you will be? <laughs> OK, <laughs> now it gets interesting. Yeah, so our Watford branch uh, has a fully stocked bar, lots of local beers, and we open until 10.30. So definitely, Ideal. A, definitely a nice place to come hang out after work. This is getting more and more appealing by the minute. <laughs> you haven't heard about shakes yet. Yeah, <laughs> milkshakes hard are. shakes as well. <laughs> hard shakes. What are these? Uh, so milkshakes with a shot of alcohol in them. Ah. <laughs> Take the edge off. <laughs> so might you buy one of these for your opponents just to um, 
to mess them up. <laughs> Good idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't uh, condone spiking people's drinks. Just that's to true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. So, here's a shake. I didn't tell you it was full of <laughs> full of rum. <laughs> This is great. There's a website, I understand. Give us that. Uh, yeah, our website is d20cafe.co.uk. And that should be for both our locations. And you go on there and book a session. There's a big calendar, isn't there, of showing you what games you can play. Yeah, we've got our calendar of events and all the kind of things that we have coming up. Some news or just social media, so you can follow all of that stuff as well. And do you have any vacancies for anybody that wants to, is a huge board game fan and wants to work in a cafe? Yeah. Are you all sorted on that front? I know, absolutely. We're looking for people to work with us. Um, so you can email your CV at uh, uxbridge at d20caf.co.uk. Thanks for popping in, Paige and Michelle, telling us all about this brand new cafe, very exciting in Windsor Street, because so far Windsor Street's theme has been, it seems, uh, beauty. I'm gathering that. Someone drove past <laughs> the other day and went, please tell me you're not opening another nail bar. I was like, <laughs> yes. And then when I told her what it was, she was not impressed. <laughs> she away. But it wasn't another nail bar. So. <laughs> We've got a couple of pubs and most of the other shops seem to be hairdressers, clinics or nail bars. Yeah, nice well-being oh. street. <laughs> yes. And us. <laughs> <laughs> we can get your nails done and then come to D20. <laughs> well, Bubble Tea actually has just moved in as well, which yeah. is very exciting. I had some Bubble Tea the other week. I haven't been there yet. It was a good. It's all right. Yes, yeah, yes. want to go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for that. And we'll all pop down to the Board Game Cafe. Perfect. Thanks for having us. Cheers, Thank guys. You. Thank you. Okay. Now we have a brand new gardening correspondent joining us on the podcast who's going to be filling us in on what we should be doing in the garden, but also what's happening on his allotment. Hardeep Singh is from Harmonsworth Horticultural Association. Morning, Hardeep. Good morning. Now, first of all, as it's the first time we've met you, maybe you can just um, give us a bit of a chat about the history of Harmonsworth Horticultural Association, maybe how many members it's got. Sure. So we were set up about 13 years ago, and we, we started off with about four members, but now we've increased our size to, I think it's over 25, and it's people who have an allotment who have an interest in horticulture. So we're going from strength to strength. Our focus has always been promoting horticulture and also helping those less fortunate than us through horticulture. And you have allotments there or, or a shed or how does it all work? So we have a number of allotments here. Each plot has a, a plot holder and they're responsible for growing whatever they, you know, all types of food, all types of vegetables. I mean, this time of year, it's a really exciting time of year because we're, uh, getting ready for the season so we're all really busy sort of sowing seeds and uh, watering madly you know trying to get things to grow because we have our every year we hold a plant sale all the plants we sell are hand grown by the allotment association and the plant sale this year is on the 29th of may and it's in the grounds of the great barn in harmonsworth and the sale runs from 12 till 3 and through that sale, we actually support Hillingdon Mind and Harlington Hospice. So we've got a real connection with local charities because we really believe that we can help people through horticulture. That's fantastic. And can local people pop down and see you? Are you there all the time or yeah, just weekends? Yeah. Well, it's an allotment. So it's, a, it's run by Hillingdon Council. So it's a council facility. So it's only open to plot holders. The plant sale, please do come down to the Great Barn, 29th of May. 12 noon till 3 
and we'll have some amazing vegetables, flowers, and a bit of music. Uh, it's a real good community event. And you can get to meet plot holders. You can learn about planting and we can give some tips on how to care for your plants as well. Give us a bit of background in how your interest in gardening started. How did you get into it? Well, so my roots are go back to the Punjab and I'm sure many of your listeners will know that the Punjab is known as the granary of, of India. My ancestors have a long connection and passion with gardening and with farming. And I think that really, that, that's in me as well. So for listeners who are kind of amateur gardeners, this time of year, what should we be doing in the garden now in, in May? So this time of year, it's, there's still a chance of a late frost. So we've got to be really careful about what we put out. So what we're doing here on the allotment is we're really preparing the soil, digging, raking, making sure it's ready to plant. What you can be doing is growing stuff indoors, such as, you know, all your sort of vegetables and tomatoes and squashes and all that. Those can, those should have already been sown by now, you know, should be um, developing quite well. At the moment, it seems to be quite dry, doesn't it, in the garden? Is watering a good thing to do at the moment? Down at uh, Harmonsworth here, in our in Moor Lane allotments, we do not use hose pipes, so everything is done by watering can. So we... Uh, I mean, we've got what I've got in at the moment is onions, cabbage, uh, strawberries are beginning to flower, uh, some lovely lettuce. Your listeners may have put their garlic in by now. I mean, it's not too late. I mean, you could probably get your garlic bulbs in now. Uh, potatoes are coming through. So all these vegetables need water. And at the end of the of the season, do you feed the family with your allotment? I mean, how how much does it give you? How much supplies do you get from the allotment? You can definitely grow for your family. We tend to give produce away to our friends and family. It's a real community. And we will exchange vegetables on the plot. We'll exchange plants, you know, with other plot holders. It's it's a real extended family in a, in a funny way where we really do care about each other. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, sharing is at the heart of horticulture, actually, because we always end up growing too many plants or we always end up, having too many potatoes or too many onions or too many tomatoes. So we, we, we always give them away. And it's lovely to, to give away things that you've sort of grown. Do you have competitions for the, the biggest vegetables or is that not something no, you do? We're not very competitive here. We just love growing. So the Great Barn is just a venue for the plant sale. It's not where the allotment is. The allotment is in, in the actual village of Harbinsworth. We have a few competitions, you know, a bit of sort of fun. Uh, we have Best Plot. I think this year we're doing uh, heaviest onion. I can keep your listeners updated on that. Who wins the heaviest onion? And are there any secrets? I mean, what you feed an onion to make it get heavier? Do you know what I think? For me, for me, it's just sowing early, making sure there are no weeds, so there's no competition. Onions don't like competition. They love lo- lots of water and no competition. And then, I mean, you're on a, on a winner, really. And also the type, the variety. You can get show onions... Uh, if you go, you know, if you look online and you sort of look for exhibition onions, you know, those seeds are developed to grow huge onions for exhibition. Ah. So there are ways you can cheat. Because you hear <laughs> stories of people watering them with beer or something to try and get them extra large. I'm, but <laughs> I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I've never used that one, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It's all fun, you know. That's great. 
Remind us again of the date. The plant sale is on the 29th of May. It's in the Great Barn, which is in Harmonsworth. The postcode is UB70AQ. And the sale starts at 12 o'clock and runs till 3. And I would advise people, if you are coming, please do come early because our plants do go really quickly. And you'll also, we will give a percentage of what we take goes directly to Hillingdon Mind and Harlington Hospice. So we do, we do like helping local charity. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We can hear in the background the bird song. See, I, I guess you're on the allotment at the moment. <laughs> I'm actually, yes, I'm actually sitting on the allotment. I've just taken a break from uh, doing some hoeing around the onions. And it's a beautiful day for it as well. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, take care and hopefully we can join you next month um, for more news from the allotment. That's great. Thanks, Hardip. All the best. Thank you. Now, you can't say you don't get variety on this podcast. We've got a local children's author in the studio next. So we're joined today by Roger Lang, who is a local children's author since he retired anyway. Hi, Roger. Hi, Steve. Pleasure to be here and thanks for inviting me. They've just given me uh, a couple of examples of your books. Um, this one's called The Quank Family Have a Party for Their Jungle Friends. There's a word in there I've never heard before. Quank. What's that all about? Spelt as it sounds, Steve, uh, Q-U-E-N-K. Now, quanks, uh, biological name is collared peccaries. So they're little pigs, smelly little pigs as it happens. And they, they live in family groups. They are indigenous to South America and the island of Trinidad, where I lived for many years, uh, where I grew up. And uh, our local zoo had a whole pack of quenks, and uh, periodically I would visit them. Not the most attractive animals, as I said, pretty smelly in their natural, uh, in their natural state. They live in families, and it uh, inspired me when I came up with the idea of children's story, a family of little quenks. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got a children's book and all about their adventures and there's other animals on the way as well, on the route. So all real animals from where you used to grow up in Trinidad. Give us some other examples of what we can meet on the way. I mean, it's part educational because every single animal and bird and fish really exists. I would encourage any parents to Google uh, any of these animals, and, and see them for real. As you can see in the book, I've given, given them all names, and our little quaint family, with a mummy and a daddy, and uh, five children, three boys and two girl quanks, and they make friends with various other uh, indigenous animals, and they're all from the South American area, and, uh, and Trinidad as well. So examples, we've got an armadillo, which I do, I have heard of, and a, a tapir, is that right? Tapir, yes. Tapir. They, they, they live in the water in South America. Uh, all very ugly, and of course, big, long snouts. But uh, there's a little tapir, one of their friends, is, is featured in the book, yes. A chameleon and a capybara? Capybaras. Actually, are my very favourite animals. In the days of the Windsor Zoo before it became Legoland, we used to take our children there very frequently, and there was a family of capybaras, the world's biggest rodent. Ah. 
and they live in, in, in South America in water. They love to be near water, and they're in Trinidad as well. A marmoset and a marmoset macaw. Is, is a little tiny, one of the very smallest monkeys, and, uh, and they all have names in the book, as you can see, yes. and they, they, they engage with the little quaint children. <laughs> <laughs> Alpaca and koipu, is that? Yes, koipus. Alpacas are, are absolutely real animals. To be strictly accurate, they don't actually live in the jungle areas. They, they come from higher up in the Andes, like llamas and alpacas. And, uh, and they're such cute animals that I thought I would introduce them to the book because they heard about the, they got an invitation from the toucan to the party and the alpaca twins came all the way from the Andes to join the party. And a koi poo koi there. Koi poos are yeah. not terribly nice little animals, quite sharp teeth, but they, they do come from that area. And we've got lovely illustrations. I gather this was a lockdown project, so you picked up uh, drawing using crayons. Yes, indeed. Uh, when lockdown started, my wife, who, who, who loves uh, watercolours, said, why don't you take up painting? You know, have a go with my watercolours, which I did. But uh, I didn't enjoy them, and I didn't take to them at all, actually. But there on the, the dining room table, a whole range of crayons belonging to my granddaughter. And I thought, wait a minute, I, why don't I try the crayons? And what emerged and what developed was I, I would do an ink drawing, an ink, ink outline, and I discovered that I, I really like illustrating with crayons. I realized that, you know, although I say so myself, I was fairly reasonable at it. Yes, exactly. It looks all right to me. So you're a man of many skills. I always like to ask authors. I mean, it's perhaps it's a bit different for a children's author, but uh, an adult author I'd like to find out how they write. Because I was always intrigued by, for example, Roald Dahl. He used to have yeah. his hut down the garden and he'd disappear off. He'd have a very set routine as well. So he'd you know, go out to the shed at nine and then he'd come back for lunch and then yeah. off he goes and then again two till five or whatever. Very um, regimented routine of, of writing. Do you find you just uh, have ideas in the shower or do you sit down and write, I'm going to write now for a certain amount of time or how do you, how do you I, write? Absolutely not. I, I absolutely could not have the, the, the routine that Roald Dahl and others like him um, because bear in mind, my little books are really illustrations with a caption. The, the idea for the book came from all the individual animals, which would be befriended by the quaint children. Yeah. And so it, it starts off with a caption, well, here is a capybara with her children in the water. Here is a macaw speaking to Granny Quink. And then the illustration starts it. The, the caption comes afterwards. Do you see any possible um, movie rights? You know, you could make a little oh children's TV series <laughs> out of them. Well, who knows? <laughs> I, uh, if, if Disney made an approach, I, I, would, I would listen to what they told me. So are you doing any uh, book signings or anything locally? Well, I'm absolutely open to ideas and invitations. I live, we visit... Windsor. My wife and I visit Windsor quite often. 
and there's a large Waterstones in Windsor, and I've told them, uh, I said, look, uh, I've just had a, a children's book published, and they've got an awful lot of children's books in their de children's departments, and I said, I will, any stock you get of my book, I will personally sign every single one of them, <laughs> and will uh, personalize on request. The, the other thing, I, I don't know if it'll come to anything, but these little animals are indigenous to Trinidad. And I grew up there in the West Indies and grew up in Trinidad, and I sent a couple of copies to the Trinidad and Tobago High Commission in London, saying, if you like the look of these little books, please send them to the Minister of Education in Trinidad. You know, lo local theme, local author, and um, maybe they'll be interested for local primary schools in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, good I've idea. Not back yet? Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Perhaps a trip out there, maybe to promote them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. Well, thanks for popping in um, and then telling us about all these uh, wonderful animals that I'd never heard of before from Trinidad. But they're all real, I do assure you, and all parents are encouraged to Google them. My favourite, as I said earlier, were the mud mud skippers, are little amphibian sort of fish, I suppose, that live in tropical swamps. And they are very ugly little animals. But in the book, the quaint children make friends um, with, with, with a, a, a pack, I don't know, a shoal, if you will, yeah. of mudskippers. And they really do exist, I, I assure you. Well, best of luck with the books. There's three um, in the pipeline, as you were saying. Uh, perhaps more. That's the first, first one. There are two others, which... Um, they're, they're published by Bumblebee Books, which is which an offshoot of Olympia Publishers. And uh, Olympia have expressed interest in all three. This is the first one that uh, has been published, and I hope they'll take up, if this is successful, which I hope it, very much hope it will, will take up the offer of the other two in the series. Yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck with them, and uh, let us know how it goes, Roger. Thanks for popping in. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks very much indeed. So once again, the book's called The Quenk Family Have a Party for Their Jungle Friends by local author Roger Lang and published by Bumblebee Books. Look out for that one if you've got any young kids in the family. Let's catch up next with the vicar at St Andrew's Church in Uxbridge, who's just come back from a garden party at Buckingham Palace. Right, so Andrew Studdart Kennedy joins us, who is vicar at St Andrew's Church in Uxbridge, as many people will know. Hi, Andrew. Hello. Nice to be back here again, Steve, in your studio. Yeah, nice to see you again. So uh, something I didn't know is that you are a chaplain to the Queen. Now, this is an honorary post. Um, tell us how that comes about and what you have to do, first of all. Uh, yes, well, I am a, a, one of the Queen's chaplains, and the way it works is that there are about 30 chaplains in England for people who have uh, worked in various areas of the church's life, some in cathedrals, some in hospitals, some in parishes. And I was simply asked by the previous diocese I was in, was the Bishop of, was the Diocese of Salisbury. My name was, I was nominated by the Bishop of Salisbury to as a suggestion for the Queen's chaplain, and that was approved. So... To be honest, I don't really know why I was nominated and chosen as opposed to anybody else. But I think the real reason was I think that because I was had chosen to stay in parish ministry. So in that sense, I uh, was chosen as somebody who was a representative of 
of many others who have stayed in parish ministry and not have chosen to do that. And you get to go to the Queen's Garden Party. You went there yesterday. I did indeed on the most <laughs> lovely day, and it was a it was a fantastic occasion. Yes, I mean the role as a Queen's Chaplain, to be honest, is very the duties are very light, and you preach once a year at St James's Palace, uh, and there are one or two other gatherings as well. But you are expected to pray for the Queen, and we're told values the prayers of the College of Chaplains, and I think that is a very important thing. Prayer and the, the knowing that people are praying for her is something that the Queen herself has emphasised in public statements a lot over the years. So um, tell us a bit more about this garden party, because um, I'm sure everybody would quite like to go to the garden party at the palace. Um, You get to wear a nice bright cassock. Um, People think you're some kind of mayor or or a cardinal, but no, you're you're the Queen's chaplain. You stand out, I I imagine, quite a lot. Yes, I mean... One of the uh, things that comes with being a Queen's Chaplain is a a scarlet cassock, which is very striking indeed. So if you don't want to be seen, don't wear a scarlet cassock. You could spot the other Queen's Chaplains miles away as they wandered around the garden at Buckingham Palace yesterday. Um, So it is a very striking garment. The garden parties themselves are wonderful occasions, and we were lucky yesterday because it was a beautiful summer day. And there are three of them held in May at Buckingham Palace, and I think about 10,000 people come to each of them, or eight to 10,000. There certainly is a huge number. And the gardens are perfect. I mean, there's not a weed in sight. Um, but it's a very happy occasion, and people are very pleased to, obviously very pleased to be there, and people are very friendly, and people make an effort and introduce themselves. And I have to say that the Scarlet Cassock is a good uh, talking point. People yeah. can come up and ask what on earth it is. <laughs> and were there any royals in attendance? There were yesterday, there was the um, Duchess of Cambridge and there were the Duke and Duchess of Wessex. Uh, So they were there representing the Queen and then there are certain people who are presented to the royal party and they're chosen in advance and there's a particular area where that happens and everybody wants to get a glimpse of these royals uh, as they talk with other people. There is something extraordinary about almost as if they were sort of I don't know, a different species that you wanted to get a sight of these people. And it was a reminder yesterday for me of the mystique, if you like, of royalty um, Mm. and people wanting to get a glimpse. They forget that they're just ordinary people like you and me, except they're not in this role, I suppose. Mm. And the food at the garden party? What are they serving? Oh, fantastic um, sandwiches and cakes, um, delicious. And they have a very clever system whereby you have a long thin white china plate and it has a space for the teacup on it so it's like a cup and saucer except the saucer is oblong in length and and it's on that saucer that you can pile that's a plate basically and you can pile up your sandwiches that's a good idea but it is it's very practical but you must be careful not to be too greedy and you want my instinct was to i wanted to have one of everything but uh, it would be very (laughs) foolish to try that So coming up, of course, is the Jubilee. It's 70 years since she acceded to the throne, which happens the moment that her father died. So that was in February um, 1952. And it wasn't until June 1953 that she was crowned as queen. Uh, But she became the monarch um, and acceded to the throne uh, in February 1952, and it's the 70th anniversary of that that is yeah. marked this year. And we're seeing the bunting coming out around the area, around Uxbridge. 
and there's going to be some roads closed, people having garden parties and street parties, which is great. Here in the churches in Uxbridge, we're waiting until the Sunday afternoon, the 5th of June, for a civic service where we will, um, members of the local council, uh, hopefully in the mayor, possibly, uh, anyway, it's a service open to anybody, all are welcome, and it's simply a way of saying thank you and celebrating the uh, 70 years of service which the Queen has given to the nation. And I believe she is obviously the longest-serving English Queen. I was doing a bit of research, and if she makes two more years, she becomes the longest-serving worldwide monarch. I believe there was a French Louis Fourteenth in the 1600s. I think Louis XIV... Um, uh, yes, I think he has. He lasted long. Has he? He lasted even longer than our current queen has. Yes, seventy-two years. So you, you've done your homework. Yes. Yes, she is something very special to many English people, isn't she? I remember when um, I think I was about age six. I was in Milton Keynes, where I used to live, and we all got bussed from the school to the the new shopping centre that was being opened, and it was like some kind of um, magical occasion to try and spot the queen as she walked past and cut the ribbon for the new shops. As you were saying, if she came to Uxbridge, people would go out of their way to go and see her. It is something um, about the royals, and but her in particular, I think, um, not so much some of the minor royals. I think that's true. Uh, I mean, and it is, as we were talking earlier, in a way, it's a mystery that, I mean, she represents uh, the pinnacle of privilege and hereditary. It's not a meritocracy. All the things that are in fashion now, equality, meritocracy access, openness to people. The monarchy is almost embodies almost the opposite of that. So it's against all odds that uh, the monarchy and the queen has, in a way, succeeded in the role that she has. But she's also, of course, not just a figure in Britain, but globally. And I suppose that is, of course, the accident of empire. Um, and I know there's controversy now about uh, the, the role in the Commonwealth and things, but the queen herself is, a sort of, is really a global icon it is a mystery because, as I said a moment ago, she represents all, everything that is so sort of privileged. But I think it's because people recognise that it, is, it has been a life of service and that she is not in it for herself. That, I think, is a universal, global quality which people can recognise anywhere. Somebody of a, a life of service, um, it, that's a universal language and one which everybody delights in. And I think that's what she really represents. So what's coming up in the church calendar in Uxbridge? We've had, uh, obviously, you were last here over Lent, and we spoke about that, and Easter. Um, I gather you had a, a walk uh, with all the churches in the area. Well, the ne- things that are happening immediately is that next Thursday, so a week today, is um, Ascension Day. And this is a particular day in the church's calendar. It's 40 days after Easter, and it used to be... a I think it used, to be, it used to be a school holiday at any rate. Schools used to get the day off. Um, and it's a, it's a festival where um, the story has it that Jesus, after being with his appearing to his disciples after the resurrection, he appears for them in, in, in different ways and forms. And then they get this overwhelming experience where they sense that he, Jesus is being returns and reunited with his heavenly father and ascends to the skies. We use pictorial language to describe this sense of of Jesus returning to heaven with his heavenly father. 
There are some wonderful hymns that mark this occasion. Anyway, there's a service in the parish at St Andrew's next Thursday. That's Ascension Day. And then, actually, on the 5th of June, the Jubilee weekend day, in the morning, at any rate, churches in all churches in Uxbridge will be celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. That's 50 days uh, after Easter, where the church remembers the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like the birthday of the church. Um, so those are the two services that are coming up immediately that are important moments in the sort of church's calendar. So 26th of May, Ascension Day, and 5th of June, Feast of Pentecost. Now, of course, Thursday, 2nd of June, and Friday, 3rd of June are bank holidays. The, the late May bank holiday has been moved up to the Thursday, so we get a four-day weekend. Hopefully we'll get nice weather. Lots of uh, parties and, and concerts going on around Buckingham Palace as well. I've got uh, music artists playing. I was just reading on the uh, on the internet about uh, Dinah Ross coming and Queen and uh, Elton John doing a, a pre-recorded thing. And we're going to find out where Brian May is going to perform his guitar solo. Apparently uh, in 2002 he was on the roof of Buckingham Palace, but there might be somewhere else he appears. It's top secret. <laughs> excellent, excellent. There were yesterday that you could the, the, the uh, around Buckingham Palace and the roads were closed and all the stands were being put up, so you you could see things were getting ready for a major event. So it was all quite Gosh. exciting there already. So yeah. it's two weeks in advance. Gosh. Well, they're getting all the stands up and the, for the for the I presume I expect they're expecting huge crowds. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd completely missed that uh, tickets were available. I mean, most of them are offered to key workers, it seemed. There were 10,000 tickets available back in February, but right. I'd completely missed that. So. Yes, so, so did I, actually. <laughs> I mean, I think part of the thing, to be honest, is that people have been extremely anxious, understandably, about the Queen's health. And also, uh, there have been a lot of COVID around. And the war and events in Ukraine have, put an, uh, have been horrifying for people. So... We have not been in party mood at all. I sense that that is changing because I think you know the, the Queen appears to be in good health, and as the weekend arrives, I'm sure that there will be, you know, plentiful celebration. But until really quite recently, I sense that people weren't really in the right mood for it. I think there's a lot of anxiety about it, actually all sorts of things. Mm. I think you're right. Yes, definitely. We're looking forward to that four-day weekend. We'll get our bunting out and get our roads closed and the sandwiches out for our street parties. Thanks for popping in, Andrew, and a bit of background there to being uh, the chaplain to the Queen. That's great. And then perhaps you can pop down in a couple of months' time for the summertime. Well, it'd be very Perhaps pleased. some poems, maybe. Oh, well, that would be great. Let's have some summer poems. That would be <laughs> yes. great fun. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. It's very nice to see you in your studio and uh, to chat with you. Thanks so much. That's great. Cheers. Thank, thank you. you. Now let's mention a couple of events going on. If you run a business in Hillingdon, there's the Hillingdon Business Expo happening on Thursday, May 26th at Brunel University. It's all free, including a free lunch. They'll have exhibitors from over 50 businesses, speakers and speed networking. More information on that one at hillingdonchamber.co.uk forward slash expo. And Michael Sabell Hospice have a summer memory walk on Saturday, July the 30th. A chance for family and friends to walk side by side in memory of their loved ones and raise money for the hospice. Check out michaelsabellhospice.org.uk. Loads more events on the Uxbridge FM website, uxbridgefm.co.uk. But that's all for this month. Do join us on social media. Just search Uxbridge FM. 
And if you have a smart speaker, ask it to play the Uxbridge FM podcast. Thanks to Chris Allen for helping out and Luca Nieri for the music. Enjoy the four-day Jubilee weekend and I'll catch you next month.